super tall. And he was super skinny too. So he had like sharp bones that were like really, sh so here's what's going on is I'm running and for every one of his steps, there's 10 of mine. So it's like, and like, that's how, so he's just g galloping behind me and he's catching up and he's, he's running and I'm almost to the goalie. I'm almost within shot range. And he, you can tell he's so angry that I beat him that he starts to swing his elbow, his sharp razor pointy elbows and crush me in the back of the head, just over and over and over again. I'm just getting nailed in the back of the head. And you know that one spot you know that like one spot in your head where like you hit it coming up from under a table and it's like the rage button, it's like rampage mode and you just go nuts because you're so ticked off. It's just that spot in your head and he, bing, he hit that spot, brains flew out of my head, lost my mind, ball goes over and I initiate punch mode. Like I am, I turn around and I am gonna go for it. And here's the thing, a little tip, a little sign up for you. If you ever have to go airborne in order to punch someone in the face, I would abort mission. I would do it. I would just cut your losses and quit. And so I'm going airborne <laughs> to punch this 11 foot tall giant in the face. And, and about halfway in the air, wherever that is, <laughs> I, I, my brains come back into my head and I realize, what are you doing, bro? And this guy's probably like, what are you doing, bro? And I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing, bro. And so I panicked, and I opened the fist. <laughs> and just slapped him. I bro slapped him right in the face. It was just in full speed. This is what it is. <laughs> and he's like... What? And then so it's all for me. It's all in slow motion, you know. So I land. And I'm looking at him square in the belly button. You want to go? I actually said that. I actually asked him. Full, like I'm, I'm like limboing. Do you want to go? <laughs> Limbo? Do you want to go? <laughs> like I, it was so bad. And he, and he just like he started to laugh at me, and I was like, I started to laugh because <laughs> I realized what happened. And then the ref came in and saved my life because he was gonna, because he was gonna kill me. And then I got a red card and I was out of the game. And I was out of the whole tournament, like the entire tournament. In five minutes, I managed to bro slap somebody and get myself kicked out of the game. It was so terrible. But, but I remember this. I do really remember this. I remember wanting to go home so bad. I was so bummed. I was just so frustrated that this happened, and I did not want to be there. And I was, I was really sad. I was like, this, this is this tournament. I was so looking forward to this, and I just wanted to go home so bad. And I, it was so funny because I wanted so bad initially to leave home. I was so excited to go to St. Louis. Never been there. I just never had been to this tournament before. I was so excited to leave. And then I remember wanting so badly to go home. And this is, this is what I know about you, that whether or not you've had an experience like that or something where you've, you've had an experience and you've wanted to go home, that's like all you've wanted to do. Or maybe, maybe for you, um, your home really was never the address on the street, never really felt like home. And I know that's, that's probably a tough thing to hear. I know there's people in here that are like, yeah, home was really, it never felt home. But you at least had that feeling at times, even when you were maybe at your address, you were like, man, I just, I want to go home. I don't want to be here, but I want to be home. But I don't know what that looks like. And 
Maybe you actually have had a really bad semester this year. You've kicked off the year. It's just been hard. And there's that feeling that I'm describing right now that you're going, yeah, that actually, I, that's me right now. I really do feel like I, for whatever reason, I just feel like I want to go home. There's been some hard stuff. And, and I want to talk tonight. I want to, I want to read a, a narrative. I want to read through a parable of Jesus about a guy that's going home. And, and I, to be honest with you, this is like the last thing you're ever supposed to say uh, when you're preaching. But there's not just one main point for this. And I'm okay with that tonight. Uh, I think tonight, we're gonna, what we're going to do is we're going to dig really deeply into the story of a, of a young man trying to get home. And, and I think we're going to pull out of it a lot of color. There's going to be a lot of some rich stuff that's going to bubble up to the surface in this particular passage. We're going to try to bring this one alive. We're going to try and feel it, taste it, smell it, and really make it real for us tonight. And I believe this, that, that maybe it's not going to be one point. Maybe it's going to be a couple. But I believe this, that God's going to touch a part of your heart that maybe you didn't expect or maybe, maybe you knew he's kind of been working on all week. But I believe this, that at some point in this story of going home, you're going to find your story of going home. And you're gonna find a new definition for maybe what home is for you and what that's like as we lean into what this young man is, is, is on his journey of trying to get home. And I wanna do that together with you tonight. And it's in Luke chapter 15. As soon as I kind of begin this, I know you're gonna recognize this story. This is a, um, Jesus is teaching to notorious sinners, which I love that word notorious in the NLT translation here, notorious sinners, I think. Uh, I, I just think that's a beautiful picture. I hope the church is always filled with famous sinners because our Savior loved to talk to famous, notorious sinners. But this is, uh, this is him teaching to them, and he gives them several parables, and this is one of them. And I, I know that maybe many of you are going to recognize it, but I believe tonight we're going to add some, I believe God's going to really bring some new color to this that maybe uh, will really lead you home in a way tonight. So here we're going to we go. Luke chapter 15 Verse 11, and we're going to begin, and we'll stop frequently throughout, and we're going to talk a little bit about this story here. So it begins in, in verse 11. It, it's uh, Jesus, he's talking to these notorious sin sinners, and he says, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story, and this is the story we're going we're gonna to do. And I want to warn you, I'm not going to apologize for this. We're really going to pull on the metaphor here. We're really going to, I don't think I'm going to be stretching and overstretching this particular metaphor, but we're going to really lean into the God-breathed nuances and, and, and details of this particular uh, parable, and I, I really, I really believe that that is um, that can be exceptionally powerful. And so I, that's what we're going to do today. I'm not going to really apologize for that. So here we go. A man who, a man who had two sons. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, "I, I want my share of your estate now before you die." So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. Okay. Have Have you ever asked God for something that? isn't like, it's not bad or it's not good. It's just something that you feel you need and you want. And it's been no for a while. We've talked about this. We talked about this last night. It's been no. Is it possible? Can you, can you maybe leave room in your theology for this as well? That maybe this is true, that even a good thing like inheritance, not inherently evil, not inherently bad. Inheritance isn't bad. But maybe even a good thing at the wrong time could be bad for you. Could you leave room in your theology that maybe you're asking God for stuff right now and, and, and one of the reasons you just feel you know, like you wanna go home is because you're asking for something and you're not getting it. And you, you're like, this is a good thing. This is a good thing I'm asking for. Could it be that a good thing at the wrong time 
could be bad for you. I, I've, I don't know, I, I, don't, I, I, I can imagine giving an inheritance to like an 11 year old, they're gonna spend it all on like gems and Clash of the Clans or whatever, and, and so they're gonna blow it. So, so an inheritance, good thing, wrong time, could be terrible, could be a bad thing. Well, this is what he's asking for, and, and I would even say, let's even think about this further. Um, even in uh, relationships, good things at the wrong time could be bad for you. It's a good thing, but at the wrong time could be bad for you. This is, this is part of what's bubbling up here. So let's keep going. Let's see what happens. A few days later, uh, the younger son packed up all his, all his belongings and moved to a distant land. So, so he packs up his stuff and he puts space between himself and those that know him and those that love him. This is what he does. He puts space between those that love him and those that know him, and, and he puts, puts space between. He goes to a foreign land. It's not an unfamiliar foreign land. Now, now, here's a question. Now, maybe, is it true that maybe part of us here, we, we maybe have done this in our journey, whether we're journeying home or from home, but either way, maybe, maybe not so much spatial space, though. Maybe not like miles, but maybe distance between what maybe is really going on in your life and the people that care about you. Maybe, maybe the real you or what's really going on and the questions and some of the struggles and some of the stuff that you got, you got fears or doubts about. Have you put miles or space between that, those things and the people that love you and care for you in your world? And, he, and it goes on here. It says here that um, uh, he packed up all his money, moved far away. About this time, his money, oh, he says here, and there he wasted all his money on wild living. No parameters, no boundaries for which his decisions could be guided. We talked last night about how God's values, he speaks loudly through those. And the things that God cries about should be the things we cry about. We should be getting counsel from the things that, or from the people who value what God values. These are the parameters and kind of compass for decision. This is implying that there is none. There are no real values that are driving his actions and decisions. He might, you know, we can all say we believe stuff or we have stuff, but our actions, really, does it impact our actions? Does it actually translate into our decision-making? This is implying that whether or not he has values or not, they're not, they're not actually impacting his decisions. And about this time, his money ran out. A great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. You know, both of these circumstances involve pain. You know, some of us have been in hard spots because we made some bad calls. Some of us have been in some spots in our life where it's been, it's been tough. We've been in some real pain. But we're there because we made some bad calls. Other, others of us have been more like the weather change, the climate change, like a famine. Something came in, and now things are hard. Things are difficult. I'm going through some pain. And it wasn't anything I can control. You can't control the famine. You can't control the weather. Either way, though, this is the same is that either way, both of these circumstances, it's hard. You're in some pain. You're going through some tough stuff, whether it's things that you, you've kind of caused or in a sense made decisions that have led to the pain or whether it's the weather and the famine rolled in. Either way, you're in some pain. Question, do you have a plan for this? Do you have a plan for when you get into pain? What do you do when you're in pain? This is where we probably start to feel, you know, I just, I wanna go home. And maybe if we are home, we just have that feeling of, I just need to, I need to find that safe place. I need to get out of this pain and I need to go to where whatever that idea of home is. This is maybe where some of that begins. And either way, whether it's stuff you, cause, you decide in your life that cause pain or, or whether, there's pain involved and God cares about both. Let's keep reading here. 
He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. You see, the freedom to do whatever has left this guy a slave to whatever. The freedom to do whatever has left him a slave to do whatever. And now he's starting to desire things he never thought he would desire. I mean, this is, this is how bad this gets. When there's this kind of wild living, when you're driven by your appetite, what happens is, is you just, you're trying to constantly be full, right? So whatever that is in your life, uh, we actually talked about this with some students. Busyness is a great way to make yourself feel full. It's a great way to make yourself, fill your schedule with stuff. I'm not going to deal with what I'm really empty in or what I'm really empty in and the areas of my life that I'm really struggling with. And we can, I mean, as students, you guys are so busy, you don't even have to try. But it's easy to use busyness or work or whatever it is, friendships, relationships, something that like, makes you feel full. But in reality, at some point, that's going to run out and you're going to be having to give up more and more. And eventually it's going to cost you some, it's going to cost you everything. You see, what Jesus does is he kind of puts inside of you a new driver. Instead of appetite being your driver, appetite, you always want to be full. Jesus gives you this, this new heart that makes you want to be empty. It makes you want to give, right? We, he talks about this. He says, he says, you don't find your life until you're losing it, until you want to lose it. This is, the, this is that paradigm shift that Jesus does. When you don't live with that, you live with an appetite. And appetites always want to be full. And so those will always be directed around you at anything around you. And they will always at some point run out and have to keep consuming until it costs you more than your money, more than your time. It even starts to cost you parts of who you are and you begin to find yourself longing after stuff that you, you didn't think you'd ever long after. It's just because your appetite is so hungry. And I'm being very ambiguous tonight. And I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm being very ambiguous. I want you to paint on this canvas whatever it is that God has been putting on your heart all week. Whatever that thing is, whatever that relationship is, or that thing that is kind of, you know you've been, you've been, your appetite's been pulled to that, and it's really, it's really kind of clouding the fact that there's some, there's something that you need to, you need to deal with and do some business with God on this week. And so I'm going to leave that there. Let's keep, let's keep going. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants had food enough to spare. And here I am, I'm, I'm dying of hunger. I'm gonna go home to my father. I'm gonna say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me as your servant. You know, I, I wanna um, suggest, this might be hard to hear, but um, maybe it's possible that God's grace begins in this type of pain, in, in these types of pain, that maybe in the midst of the pain, and the starvation, that maybe there's even a little bit of God's grace because it's that grace that compels you to do this, to just turn and start to head a different direction. Is it possible? Would you leave room in your theology for, for God's grace to appear in the pain? Maybe that's where it begins because it at least gets you to turn and begin to head home. And I know some of you are like, Brian, Pastor Brian, you don't know the pain that I'm in or that I have been in. And that's really audacious to say that. But here's, here's what we know of scripture is that this story, this particular story, this journey home, it doesn't, it doesn't end here in the famine. It doesn't, it doesn't like stop right here. And by the world, while the world might be telling you, yeah, the pain is so bad, that's the, that's the end of the story, it's horrible. This is, this is not in scripture. scripture. This keeps going. This story does not end 
with this famine and this pain. It keeps going. It's not the end of the story. So let's keep reading. Let's keep reading. We'll see what it says. It says, uh, verse 20 here. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, verse 20. He says, so he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. This might be where some of you are at. Maybe you, you've been in the famine, but now you've, you've, you've turned, you started to reach out, cry out to God, and he's not there yet. He's still a long way off, and he's hazy, he's kind of fuzzy. You're not really sure you can even see him. I'm not sure, is that him in my life? Is that not God active in my life? He still seems a long way off. I wanna just promise you, this is what scripture's saying. God sees you even before you see him. The father here sees the son before the son even sees him. He sees him, and he's running. I wanna promise you, if you're in the spot right now where, where God seems far or you're stuck in some famine and you feel like you're crying out, you feel like you've turned and you're out crying out, I, I wanna just tell you something right now. God sees you and he's running. He may not be there yet in the sense he's always with you. You may not know his embrace yet. You may not feel that or experience that, but he is running and he's with you. He is with you in the pain and he's with you in the famine and he is chasing you down. He's screaming at you at the top of his lungs tonight even. You're sitting in a chapel and you're hearing about his love right now. So this is the reality of where, where God is. But let me also add this too, is that if, if you've had to turn in from a famine because of something you did, so, so I'm gonna say, this is, I wanna suggest this tonight, that grace, God's grace, it meets you in that mess. It meets you in the field. You see, I don't know if you've ever um, pictured what God's face looks like when you are presently in a mess. And you're there because it's some stuff you did. And I don't know if you ever like pictured what his face looks like. I, I just wanna read you this here. Um, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, ran to him, filled with love and compassion. Question, what does someone's face look like when they are in love and filled with compassion? What does that face look like? This son had not paid a dime of his inheritance. He had not paid a dime. His past was messy, but you know what? His present, right now, his present is very messy. He still smells like pig. And you know what his father's facial expression is? Filled with compassion. You know what his father is doing? He's running. His past is messy, but you know what his present is? And his father's still running at him. And, and this is... This is so profound because what, what it means is that God meets you in the present, in the messiness of that field. God meets you there. He doesn't just wait till you take a shower, get the smell off, pay off a little bit of the inheritance, climb up to the leather smelling, the study of God where he's all dressed up in that suit and then can have a conversation with you. God doesn't wait. He runs for you and he meets you when it's presently messy. Let me, let me just add to this. Look, look at this next passage here. It says, but, but the father said, he said, um, but the father said to his servants, quick, right now, quick, don't wait, 
Don't wait, quick, right now, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring on his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the fattened calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate and feast for this son of mine was dead and now he has returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began right there. I, this, is, this, is so, this is so profound. Imagine the, the, imagine the son for a second. He's standing there. He sees his dad saying, quick. He's, his dad directing orders, getting this robe on. He's like, dad, 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 wait, wait, wait. Can we, just, can we just stay here in the field for a little bit? Can I just maybe work a little bit? Work so I can't go into this party because they're going to smell. I still smell. They're going to know. I can't go in there. And, and, and they're going to know what I did. They're going to know immediately what I did. They, I haven't paid off a dime of this inheritance. Can we just, can we wait in the field? Can we do it in the field? Can we just, can we just stay here in the field? You know, I, I, I want to suggest that this right here is where people, where believers want to just live for a long time. Believers, we want to, we want to meet God in the field. We want to get our needs, but we, we don't want to go into the party. We would much rather just stay. And we, we, we don't understand that God actually celebrates. If you thought about this, God celebrates you in the mess, in the present, even though it's messy right now, that God is not only filled with compassion, but he wants to celebrate now, not because he's celebrating sin, but because of what he did on that cross. He wants to celebrate right now because right now you can be made right with him. And that's, what, that's what's true. You are right with him if you believe. And that is, that is, he wants to do that right now. Some of you have never gone to your own party. You have wanted to stay in the field. You have not gone into the, into the party. And here's why most people don't go. This is why this is the most difficult thing for people to do. They, this is why believers do not move from the field into the party. This is why. Because God, he parties with people. You see, he's calling servants over. He's calling all the people in his house. You can't have music without people playing the music. You can't, have, you can't eat a fattened calf by yourself. Maybe, maybe some of you can. I don't know. But you can't. And you need a, you know, it's a party. God parties with people. And this is where we draw the line. We say, God, my faith, my, my, my relationship with you, we're going to live out in the field here. I, I'm, not, I'm not going in there. And I believe this is true. The climax of this story, the point of this story, is not this moment embraced in the field. It's not. That, that God does, Jesus doesn't add, like, there's a party. How should I end this parable? Well, there's a party. And he just adds on there, like, that's a good way to end a story. That, that's the point of the story. Where this is all going is into community and fellowship. The climax of this story is not God embracing you in the field. It is inviting you into the fellowship and the community and the celebration and the party that some of you have never gone to. You've never gone to. This, I, I don't know if this is your story, but I... This for me is, is so difficult for me. I am not done working this out in my life. I'm gonna give the gift of going second tonight. So if any of you are gonna be moved by God to respond to anything tonight of what he's doing, um, I'm gonna give you the gift of going second because I am gonna go first. This is not done worked out in my life. I'm being very honest right now. You see, as, as a pastor's kid, I, I wouldn't trade it for the world. I loved it and my parents are wonderful and the churches we had were just incredible congregations, but you, for whatever reason, for whatever reason I did this, I put a complex on myself. And uh, I heard messages like this. And I thought to myself, you know what? You know what, I'm just gonna stay out in the field. 
because I, I have to have it all together. I'm the pastor's kid. You know, I don't know if you've heard this before. Do people come up to you and tell you, oh, you're a good kid. And I know what they mean. They're not trying to be, they're trying to give you a compliment. I, all of my life, I was told, oh, Brian, he's a good kid. He's a good kid. He's a good kid. But deep down, isn't this true? We all know that we're the bad kid, right? We all know this. We all know that we're messed up, that we're bad kids. And then part of me wants to grow up and be a dad one day and, and, and tell my kid every day, hey, good morning. How you doing? Are you ready for school? Hey, just so you know, you're a bad kid, but I love you. And God died for you, or Jesus died for you, and God loves you, but you're a bad kid. But that doesn't change how much I love you and does not change how much your heavenly father loves you. Listen, some of you have been told your whole life you're a good kid. And, I, and, and again, that's a compliment. I would never, I, I don't want to tell people not to say that. But, but here's what happens is deep down, though, we know we're a bad kid. And, and sometimes the more we're told we're a good kid, that just we feel like we have to try to live out somebody that we are not because we are a bad kid. And we just don't know how to deal with the mess that is our own lives. And I'm telling you, I have stood and I have sat where you sat, right where you're sitting. I've listened to messages like this and I've said, man, I've wanted so bad to go into my party. I never, I, I, I went all high school. I did not get a chance to go into my party. I watched as, as my friends did. They responded to these things. They leaned into other people. They got help for the fears, the doubts, the sins they were struggling with, just the stuff in their life, the mess that compelled them to just want to go home. And they, and they walked into their own party. I watched them. I watched them do it. And I just sat there and I, and I stood on the outside in the field, just working in the field, trying to just pay back some inheritance but my inheritance was no smaller or larger than anybody else's, but that never got through to me. And so I wish, I wish somebody would have told me that, listen, on the other side of a decision to walk into community, to walk into that is a celebration, that when people hear you lean in and ask for help and ask for help for stuff, that their initial response should be, thank you for getting this, thank you for leaning into this. Let's just celebrate for a second, the initial celebration of just bringing this light. I, we talked about this, I just hope this place just smells like feet tonight. We talked this morning in chapel of taking off your shoes. This place is just, we, we should just have this uh, eagerness to look for people in the messiest part of who they are, but this is what God does though. He meets you in the present mess. He celebrates you. This is crazy to me. He, he has a party for you in the middle of your present mess. You haven't showered. You haven't paid off any of the inheritance. And he wants to party now, and he wants to do it with people. Let's finish this. Let's, let's end this thing here. It says, meanwhile, in verse 25, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants, what's going on? He says, your brother's back. And he was told, your father's killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and would not go in. His father came out and begged him. But he replied, all these years, I've slaved for you. I've noticed, I've never once refused to do a single thing you've told me. Um, and, and, and all that time, you never gave me one goat for a feast for my friends. Yet when your, this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me. And everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and he has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. Look, I, I am, uh, I'm not saying that there are not consequences for sin. And I am, 
I am not saying that we ought to celebrate sin and I'm not saying that, that there is no progress in sanctification and that God does not get into your life and, and make changes. But this is what I am saying though, is that if at any, the moment you think that your present is fine, does anyone hear this? I'm, I'm actually pretty good. The moment you think that, the moment the cro- that cross makes no sense anymore, you realize that. That, that until, until we're in heaven, our present will have some mess. In fact, I believe the more you lean into the cross, the more you're consciously aware of God's grace and, and the gap between you and his holiness. And I, I want to suggest this thing, that if it bothers you a little bit that I say churches should be stinky and messy, full of feet, if it bothers you a little bit that I say churches should be a mess and they should smell like people just walking out of a pigsty, if it bothers you and I say that, then I need to come out of the house, we need to come out of the house and say, come on in. I need to talk to you. Just say, come on in right now. Just come into this. You need this too. Your party is waiting for you on the inside. Come on in and celebrate. I think that Satan would love for people to believe that churches are where we have it all together. I think he would love that. He would love for, and this is what happens sometimes. We hear the stories of God at work, and this does happen. God changes lives. He does. That's what God does. But sometimes we get this thing, my life was terrible. God showed up. Now everything's great. And there are, I mean, we talked about how peace and soul rest, that is all true. But your present is still messy. And I think that if, if we hear this enough, my life was terrible, I met Jesus, everything's great. We begin to build churches like that. And people come into them and they think, boy, this is a church built, built for people who have it all together. It's not messy. And I'm messy. I know I'm messy. I'm, I'm, I've never been, I, I'm not, I'm not fixed yet. I don't have stuff in my life worked out. My present is messy. Not only was my past messy, but my present is messy right now. Do I belong here? Listen, I I just believe that Satan would love for us to build churches all around people in the field. Maybe you've been to some of these churches where it's built out in the field and there's all the brother, older brothers out in the field. Maybe you've been to a church like that. Listen, I just, I just pray that this place that as I leave here and as you guys take this and as your professors take this, I, I just pray this become one of the messiest places. Not because we celebrate mass, not because we're celebrating no progress and being stuck. That's not what I'm saying. But that is a place where it all comes to light and community can happen and care can happen. That is, that is what I hope for everyone here. And maybe even professors, maybe you need to do the same, giving the gift of going second. That maybe you go first. I don't know, I don't know what that looks like, but, but I know this much to be true that Christians go to die in churches that are built in the field. And not, I don't mean that literally, but what I just mean is that you, you've, if you've been in these churches, your soul just, just gets stuck and you just feel like I wanna go home, but I don't know what that looks like or where I can find it. I, I, wanna, I wanna end with this, um, this story. And as I tell it, if the, if the band wants to come up, you guys can make your way up here. We're gonna, I want to give you guys some time to reflect and, and, and consider this stuff tonight and just whatever God's put on your heart to respond to it. But, but uh, when, I was a, when I was younger, really young, uh, we, when we still lived in New Jersey, there was my, my youngest brother was, was six years younger than me. So he was probably uh, like a toddler and I was, I don't know, maybe eight or, or nine years old. And he was out playing in the front yard and I was out uh, playing in the front yard with him as well. And, and, and my dad was gardening. I, I remember my dad was, was gardening in this island there, uh, plants and stuff. And my younger brother was playing on a big wheel. He had like this big wheel thing. He would, um, it was like a tricycle with a big wheel, hence the big wheel part. And he was riding around on it. And at, at one point he begins to kind of coast down the driveway 
And I remember seeing this. I remember, I remember just watching all this unfold like slow motion. My brother starts to wheel down the driveway. And as he goes down the driveway, a bright red car starts coming around the corner. And I remember it was full of teenagers, loud music. And I remember seeing that car. And I remember watching my brother. I remember thinking, they're, they're going to be in the street at the very same time. This is, this is, they're going to time this just right. And I remember wanting so bad for my dad to be able to do something. My dad turned and he saw it. And I remember just looking at my dad like wishing so bad he was closer to my brother that he could just run out there and stop this from happening. And, and, and all of a sudden my dad just screams at the top of his lungs, louder than I've ever heard. He just says, Paul, stop. And he yells it so loud. I, I'm convinced that somehow that penetrated that car. It, heard through, it was heard through the music and that car slammed on its brakes. And right as Paul went right out in front of it, inches from his head, and this car just stopped. My dad immediately ran up, scooped up Paul into his arms and ran inside. And ever, ever since, after that day, uh, we were not allowed to play in the front yard anymore. Uh, what my dad did do, though, is he built a fence in the backyard. And we played in the backyard. You know, I want to suggest this, that if, if all you've ever known about God and about your faith and, and all the things that go into that, if all you've ever known about God is the fence, I'm, I'm sorry. You see, um, if, if you don't understand that this is a, he is a God who is your father who loves you, who loves you, who sent his son to die for you, and he desires this, this life for you that won't always be easy, but it's definitely the best life possible. And he's trying to protect you and keep you safe from sin. If, if, you, don't, if you don't understand the love that God has for you, I'm sorry, because the, the fence makes no sense. The fence makes no sense if you don't first understand that this is a God who loves you. And if that's what made you run, if that much made you go wild and just ignore all the parameters, all the things that God has put in place around you, all the things that he's asked and commanded and, and, and tried to guide with you in your life, if, if, if you totally ran for that, I'm, I'm sorry because that was never supposed to happen. It was never supposed to be that you just heard the fence, the fence, the fence, but you never understood the love of your father. And so I want to I leave you with this tonight. I want us to do some business with God, and I, I don't want to paint that, what that looks for you. But what I do want to do is say, if God has spoken to you at all this week, if he has put his finger on something in your life, I'm going to ask that you do some business with him during this, during this song here. And what I'm going to ask is this, is, you know, most of the time when you respond, it's just you and God. I don't think we can do that, given all that we've just talked about, about the, about, about the party, about how this is supposed to be done together. How about you, your vertical relationship is married to your horizontal relationship. So this is what I'm going to ask. If God's been putting his finger on something in your heart tonight, or even this week, then I would ask, ask that sometime during, the, we're all going to stand up, we're all going to sing, but at some point during this song, I would just ask that you sit down. And that the person next to you, whether they know you or not, if they could just sit down with you and pray with you, if it's your friend, if it's somebody you don't know, they're just gonna pray for you. If you'd be willing to do it, because I want this to be done together. I want somebody to be around you or with you in the midst of whatever it is you're going to the Lord about in prayer. And I want them to join you in it. So if you're alone and you're alone, if someone around this, a person who's alone, it could see them and just pray with them and just pray for them. You don't have to know each other. You don't have to know what's going on. But this is what I wanna do. I wanna do this in a party. 
I want to do this together. I want to do some feet washing tonight, which involves two people, some spiritual feet washing. And so, so as you stand and we sing this song, if at some point, if you wouldn't mind, just, just sit down. If, if God's doing something, sit down and pray. Have that conversation with God. Maybe you just need to meet him in the field somewhere. But, but I, I just want to invite somebody next to you or around you to just put their hand on you and just pray for you and join you because you need to know this, that your, your journey, your journey home, cannot be done alone and is not meant to be done alone. And that God is not only running and with you in it, but there are people around and the point of it is to be with the people around you. So as I leave here and as you guys take all this conversation forward with your professors and stuff, I I just wanna begin it tonight right. I wanna begin it right with people around you to join into whatever it is God is doing in your life. You know, uh, some of you with sin, whatever God's doing in your life, some of you, all you can do is hobble. That's it. That's all you can do is take a small step. But God does the running. God's the one who does the running. So listen, if, whatever that step looks like tonight, even if it's just a conversation with God or somebody, just take the step. That's all you can do sometimes. And so that's what we want to leave room for. I'm going I'm to pray, and then we're going to spend some time in worship, take some time to do some business with God, and then I'll come up and I'll, I'll close this. But let me, let me pray. God, I, uh, I, I just pray right now that there would be um, a very, very clear next step for everybody here. That, Lord, you would just bring to, you would just be very clear about what you're putting your finger on in their heart. That there would be something that, that Lord, um, uh, they, would be, they would have clarity to see that they could do tonight, something that they could, have a, they could have a conversation with somebody tonight, Lord, maybe about something for the first time, maybe the messiest part of their life, the spiritual feet in their life, God. And I pray they would know that they are surrounded by a group of people, Lord, that are genuinely just, just wanting and desiring so badly to wash and care for the messiest part of them. So, Lord, I just pray that that would give an extra dose of courage to the people in this room tonight and that each of us would be willing to just just say yes to you, even if it means saying no to something that we've been saying yes to for a long time. God, I, I thank you that, that if there's any, any stir in us, Lord, I, I know it comes from you, and I thank you that it's all driven by love. I pray that that be the, the, the biggest push in our heart, Lord, to make any change should be love. Nothing else should drive us to make decisions, Lord, nothing. Everything is a response to your love. So God, I pray if there's any reason to do something, if there's any next step that people are feeling to take and it's driven by guilt, it's driven by shame, it's driven by this is just what I should do, I pray it would just be silenced, God. And I pray that it would be only love would be the loudest thing that is nudging them, Lord, to make a decision or take a next step tonight. I lift all of this up, Lord, in your holy and powerful name, in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Thank you.